0: Hey everybody, welcome to the 7th edition of the Virtual Sponsorship Series. Today's video will be on the first half of Chapter 3 of the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, More About Alcoholism. If you want to check out the previous chapters, they're all available on my YouTube channel, The Fourth Dimension. I'm very happy to announce that coming shortly, I will be bringing in some guest speakers to talk about all sorts of recovery related and spiritual related content. So without further ado, I bring to you more about alcoholism. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity and death. Nobody wants to admit that they're the real deal alcoholic because if you admit that you're the real deal alcoholic, that means we can't drink anymore. And that is a deal breaker right there. The major problem with not admitting this is, if we don't, then we're going to continuously try to find ways in which we are the exception to the rule. And if we're in that frame of mind, then recovery is not possible for us. I had to be beaten so severely by alcohol before I finally became willing to admit that I was an alcoholic, that I had no other options left whatsoever. And just like it says here in the paragraph, I chased this illusion to the brink of insanity and death multiple times i've had to be revived by emts i've been in psych hospitals and rehabs more than i could count it took a long time for a stubborn alcoholic like me we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics this is the first step in recovery the delusion that we are like other people or presently maybe has to be smashed so the word concede here is the same as surrender now when we take a look at this word surrender we have to realize that this surrender that they're talking about is unconditional this was something that I struggled with for a very long time I had always come in thinking that I had surrendered but it was never unconditional I was willing to put down the, the drugs and the drink for a period of time until my sobriety no longer met my conditions. After having a, a couple of months sober and not being rich beyond my wildest dreams or being successful, I would get discouraged and then I would get miserable. And once I was nice and miserable, I would automatically revert back to my old mind state and I would say to myself something along the lines of if I'm gonna be miserable I might as well be drunk and out the door I went so to fully concede to your innermost self that you're alcoholic is an unconditional surrender no matter what I cannot drink it doesn't matter what happens what my life is like In the good times, in the bad times, this rule always applies. We alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. We are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness. Over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. We are like men who have lost their legs, the never grow new ones. Neither does there appear to be any kind of treatment which will make alcoholics of our kind like other men. We have tried every imaginable remedy. In some instances, there has been brief recovery, followed always by a still worse relapse. Physicians who are familiar with alcoholism agree there is no such thing as making a normal drinker out of an alcoholic. Science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. So if you are alcoholic and you've lost your control of your drinking, then you will never get it back. Sometimes we'll have these brief periods where we're doing a little bit better and we'll cling to those with desperation as proof that we're not really alcoholic. Sometimes the persistence in which we cling to this one example is extraordinary. I'm not an alcoholic. One time I had three drinks and went home and went to bed and didn't drink anymore like 10 years ago. If I was alcoholic, That wouldn't be possible. And then we just write off the previous 10 years of complete insanity so that we can have our way and convince ourselves that we aren't alcoholic. Therefore we can drink. And then there's this line about the pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. So the best way I can describe this is nobody likes to lose. So at a certain point in most drinking, drinkers' drinking career, they get to a point where they're constantly trying to manage their drinking, control it, or stop altogether. And they try to do this on their own. And so every day they wake up and say something along the lines of, today's the day, I'm not going to drink. And then by the end of the day, they drink. And Day after day after day, this happens and you just become so defeated by the prospect of trying to stop that the apply the old rule, if you can't beat them, might as well join them. And so we cast aside our our desire to stop in the first place and just fully dive into our alcoholism. This is what I want to do. Feels much better than I just can't control it and it's got me licked another major point that they make right here is over any considerable period we get worse never better now that makes sense when you apply it to like when we're drinking obviously it's a progressive illness we read it in Bill's story and and we saw the progression in his life but the thing here is It says over any considerable period we get worse never better and it does not say while we're drinking we get worse never better Um, so what they're implying here is this is a progressive illness whether you're abstinent or not In AA, you'll hear people say things like, your disease is outside in the parking lot doing push-ups." And when you hear people talk about uh, relapse after having a little bit of time in the program, you always hear a very similar story. And they all say, in a short time, they were worse than they ever were, as if they had never stopped in the first place. And so it kind of just goes to show you that your spiritual malady, if you will, or the mental obsession, is progressing it's getting worse even if you're not actively drinking um, in a few paragraphs we're going to read an example that sums this point up beautifully and once again the reiterate a point that they've made multiple times already in previous chapters once an alcoholic always an alcoholic there is no treatment available to take away our allergic reaction which causes the phenomenon of craving to any kind of mind or mood altering substances. Despite all we can say, many who are real alcoholics are not going to believe that they are in that class. By every form of self-deception and experimentation, they will try to prove themselves exceptions to the rule, therefore non-alcoholic. If anyone who is showing inability to control his drinking can do the right about face and drink like a gentleman, our hats are off to him. Heaven knows we have tried hard enough and long enough to drink like other people. This self-deception and experimentation can go on for quite a long time. They're about to list off a bunch of ways that we do experimentation in seeing how maybe we could drink like other people if the circumstances were perfect. Now, of course, you do a little work in AA and you quickly find out that even if this were the case you are completely powerless over your circumstances but more than that this self-deception are the lies that we tell ourselves that keep our mind closed to any kind of advice or any kind of solution that may be offered to us and sometimes it can persist for many years until one day we have this moment of clarity and for a brief moment we can see the truth and how our life is just in shambles and it's in this moment of clarity that the alcoholic must capitalize on and get themselves the help that they need that's why anybody who has had experiment and treatment knows the minute they call for help the move heaven hell and earth to get you into a treatment center as quickly as possible before that moment of clarity passes and you go back into that self deception here are some of the methods we have tried drinking beer only limiting the number of drinks never drinking alone never drinking in the morning drinking only at home never having it in the house never drinking during business hours Drinking only at parties, switching from scotch to brandy, drinking only natural wines, agreeing to resign if ever drunk on the job, taking a trip, not taking a trip, swearing off forever with and without a solemn oath, taking more physical exercise, reading inspirational books, going to health farms and sanitariums, accepting voluntary commitment to asylums, we can increase the list ad infinitum. I for one have tried everything that they have just listed in that paragraph to try to control my drinking. And I've gone even further than that. The craziest thing that I ever did and actually thought that it was God's will for me and that if I was to do this then I would finally have my alcoholism licked was I ran across country with a girl that I had met in detox that was pregnant and i thought that if i started a relationship with her and raised the child as if it were my own god would relieve me of my obsession to drink needless to say that did not work now this experimentation i believe is relatively natural you know it's it's the logical course one would take when they find out that they're afflicted with this issue The problem in today's day and age with this is so many people die in the course of this experimentation that they never get the opportunity to actually give the solution that lies within this 12 steps a fair chance. And so if you're sitting there with this chance freely given you, it must be capitalized on For you are lucky, and it's a gift. We do not like to pronounce any individual as alcoholic, but you can quickly diagnose yourself. Step over to the nearest bar room and try some controlled drinking. Try to drink and stop abruptly. Try it more than once. It will not take long for you to decide. If you are honest with yourself about it, It may be worth a bad case of jitters if you get a full knowledge of your condition. Though there is no way of proving it, we believe that early in our drinking careers most of us could have stopped drinking, but the difficulty is that few alcoholics have enough desire to stop while there is yet time. We have heard of a few instances where people have showed definite signs of alcoholism were able to stop for a long period because of an overpowering desire to do so. Here is one. So this is an important point if you desire to be a useful member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholism is a self-diagnosis. If you go around trying to diagnose every person that shows signs of alcoholism, you will probably do more harm than good by scaring them away. After all, nobody likes to be told what their problems are. However, if you lead your life as a good example and let somebody suffer in silence, eventually the very well may come up to you and unburden themselves and tell you all about their drinking issues. Now the suggestion to go and try some controlled drinking um, that they say here is a very old school suggestion that used to be thrown around in AA quite often when somebody would come in on the fence and and fail to take it, uh, suggestions from anybody and just complain. This suggestion has definitely died in more recent years with all the deaths that alcohol and drugs have been causing. So you don't hear it so much anymore. Um, but the whole point of this is that a full knowledge of your disease is worth more than sober time. So if you come in and you have some abstinence under your belt, but you don't think you're an alcoholic and you refuse to believe that you are one, then your sobriety is temporary anyway. And so what they're trying to say here is, in these instances, sometimes, relapse could be the best possible thing for you because when you go out and bump your head a little bit, then maybe you'll come back next time and that time you'll be open-minded to a solution and maybe you'll start to actually make some changes. However, relapse is not a requirement and they give you tons and tons of examples and they basically beg you to look at your past experiences and use that as a way to judge whether you suffer from this or not. A man of 30 was doing a great deal of spree drinking. He was very nervous in the morning after these bouts and quieted himself with more liquor. He was ambitious to succeed in business but saw that he would get nowhere if he drank at all. Once he started, he had no control whatever. He made up his mind that until he had been successful in business and retired, he would not touch another drop. An exceptional man, he remained bone dry for 25 years and retired at the age of 55, after a successful and happy business career. Then he fell victim to the belief, which practically every alcoholic has, that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as other men. Out came his carpet slippers and a bottle. In two months, he was in a hospital. Puzzled and humiliated, he tried to regulate his drinking for a while, making several trips to the hospital meantime. Then, gathering all his forces, he attempted to stop altogether and found he could not. Every means of solving his problem which money could buy was at his disposal. Every attempt failed. Though a robust man at retirement, he went to pieces quickly and was dead within four years. So this is the example that I mentioned earlier about how over any period of time we get worse, never better. So this guy was drinking alcoholically as a young man, but caught it right in time for him to be able to stop completely on his own. However, the allergy to alcohol was always there. And a matter of fact, according to this story, it seems to have gotten worse in his long period of abstinence. Now, before he stopped drinking, he was waking up in the morning jittery. You know, he was very hungover, had high anxiety, maybe hair of the dog a couple mornings to help him get off zero. But for the most part, he had a long drinking career ahead of him if he decided to continue to drink. However, he stops for 25 years. And then, after this long period of abstinence, decides to give it the old college try, breaks out the bottle. In two months, he was hospitalized from his drinking. And then four years later, he was dead. Now, what I'm proposing here is, if this man never had gotten sober for those 25 years, and he continued to drink, he would have not have been hospitalized in two months and he would have not have died in four years. It would have taken much longer for the disease to progress to that point. But because the malady was progressing in his period of abstinence, when he picked up after 25 years, he was very quickly way worse than he had ever been in his youth. This case contains a powerful lesson Most of us have believed that if we remained sober for a long stretch, we could thereafter drink normally. But here is a man who at 55 years found he was just where he had left off at 30. We have seen the truth demonstrated again and again. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Commencing to drink after a period of sobriety, we are in a short time as bad as ever. If we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. Young people may be encouraged by this man's experience to think he can stop, as he did, on their own willpower. We doubt if many of them can do it, because none will really want to stop, and hardly one of them, because of the peculiar mental twist already acquired, will find he can win out. Several of our crowd, men of 30 or less, had been drinking only a few years, but they found themselves as helpless as those who had been drinking 20 years. And so once again, they're driving this point home. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. They've repeated this time and time again over the past few chapters. And the reason I believe that they are mentioning this over and over again is because they know full well that this is something that you will probably struggle with in your journey of recovery. Because every alcoholic has this thought at one point or another, whether it's early on or further down the line. I did a desperate experiment, and one day before my two year anniversary, I decided to give that a test to see if after being sober for two years, I could drink like normal and the experiment failed horribly and I lost another 14 months of my life to alcoholism and addiction and then they go on to admit that this man's story that they're talking about is very unique in the sense that he was able to stop without a spiritual solution Um, most people Uh, have tried to stop without a spiritual solution long before they come into the rooms of AA and the fact of the matter is in today's day and age if you could stop without a spiritual solution you most likely would have never ended up in AA because you would have stopped already to be gravely affected one does not necessarily have to drink a long time nor take the quantities some of us have this is particularly true of women Potential female alcoholics often turn into the real thing and are gone beyond recall in a few years. Certain drinkers who would be greatly insulted if called alcoholics are astonished at their inability to stop. We who are familiar with the symptoms see large numbers of potential alcoholics among young people everywhere, but try and get them to see it. And so what they're saying here is to be an alcoholic You do not necessarily need to drink X amount, or you do not need to have a list of consequences that you have experienced as a result of your drinking. Now, these things are common, however, they are not a requirement. And because of this, we've been able to raise up the bottom a little bit and help people get the help that they need before they have to really, really go through the ringer. And this is especially good news for some of the younger people in AA who haven't had the opportunity to ruin their lives as extensively as some of the older crowd. So to put it quite simply, you are an alcoholic if you cannot control your drinking and you say that you are. As we look back, we feel we had gone on drinking many years beyond the point where we could quit on our own willpower. If anyone questions whether he has entered this dangerous area, let him try leaving liquor alone for one year. If he is a real alcoholic and very far advanced, there is scant chance of success. In the early days of our drinking, we occasionally remain sober for a year or more, becoming serious drinkers again later. Though we may be able to stop for a considerable period, you may yet be a potential alcoholic. We think few to whom this book will appeal can stay dry anything like a year. Some will be drunk the day after making their resolutions, most of them within a few weeks. So this rings true for me. In my experience, I have never even made it close to a year going dry. I've always needed to maintain some sort of a spiritual solution in order to get anything like a year. And I've observed a lot of people that have come in and out of the rooms, and this rings true for over 95% of the people that I have seen. I think I can only think of one person that I've ever met in AA that made it over a year without having to do 12 steps and have a spiritual solution. And these people just happened to be lucky and make it past the year. They were living in a sober living environment and they were subject to drug testing. So a lot of that is what kept them sober. And even then, they did relapse shortly after their one year anniversary. For those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. We are assuming, of course, that the reader desires to stop. Whether such a person can quit upon a non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent to which he has already lost the power to choose whether he will drink or not. Many of us felt that we had plenty of character. There was a tremendous urge to cease forever, yet we found it impossible. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it, this utter inability to leave it alone no matter how great the necessity or the wish. How then shall we help our readers determine, to their own satisfaction, whether they are one of us? The experiment of quitting for a period of time will be helpful, but we think we can render an even greater service to alcoholic sufferers and perhaps to the medical fraternity. So we shall describe some of the mental states that precede a relapse into drinking, for obviously this is the crux of the problem. So a very important line in here is, we are assuming that the reader has a desire to stop. For this solution to take hold, that is one of the requirements. It's the third tradition. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. So if you do not have the desire to stop and you're reading this book or watching this video, then what the fuck are you doing here? But all jokes aside, they're gonna dive into the insanity that precedes the first drink, the relapse back into active alcoholism. Because this is the root of our problem. We've already said like 100,000 times that once an alcoholic, oh he's an alcoholic, so the allergy's not going anywhere. So the first thing we must do is really kind of pin down the idea of this mental twist this mental obsession that leads us time and time again to drink against our will. What sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time the desperate experiment of the first drink? Friends who have reasoned with him after a spree which has brought him to the point of divorce or bankruptcy are mystified when he walks directly into a saloon. Why does he? Of what is he thinking? So they mention here a little bit of that frothy, emotional appeal that we mentioned. And no matter what the consequences of our drinking are, they never really seem to get us on the water wagon for very long. Our first example is a friend we shall call Jim. This man has a charming wife and family. He inherited a lucrative automobile agency. He had a commendable world war record. He is a good salesman. Everybody likes him. He is an intelligent man, normal so far as we can see, except for a nervous disposition. He did no drinking until he was 35. In a few years he became so violent when intoxicated that he had to be committed. On leaving the asylum he came into contact with us. We told him what we knew of alcoholism and the answer we had found. He made a beginning. His family was reassembled and he began to work as a salesman for the business he had lost through drinking. All went well for a time, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. To his consternation, he found himself drunk a dozen times in rapid succession. On each of these occasions, we worked with him, reviewing carefully what had happened. He agreed he was a real alcoholic and in a serious condition. He knew he faced another trip to the asylum if he kept on. Moreover, he would lose his family, for whom he had a deep affection." So they paint this picture of Jim as a pretty successful guy who is pretty likable and does well in most areas of his life, but this guy is a hopeless alcoholic and he knows it. So when he comes into contact with some members of AA, they give him the the old introduction speech and they sell him on the ideas contained in this book and it says he made his start so what do you mean by making his start is he gets into the program he starts working with the sponsor and he does the first three steps but he fails to enlarge his spiritual life so he makes good progress staying dry doing the first three steps, but he never goes on to write an inventory and he never cleans house. And and very quickly, he ends up drunk a dozen times. You see this over and over again. One, two, three, out, one, two, three, out. I lived that way for quite a time. And let me tell you, it's no way to live. Yet he got drunk again. We asked him to tell us exactly how it happened. This is his story. I came to work on Tuesday morning. I remember I felt irritated that I had to be a salesman for a concern I once owned. I had a few words with the boss, but nothing serious. Then I decided to drive into the country and see one of my prospects for a car. On the way, I felt hungry, so I stopped at a roadside place where they have a bar. I had no intention of drinking. I just thought I would get a sandwich. I also had the notion that I might find a customer for a car at this place, which was familiar for I had been going to it for years. I had eaten there many times during the months I was sober. I sat down at a table and ordered a sandwich and a glass of milk. Still, no thought of drinking. I ordered another sandwich and decided to have another glass of milk. So this part of the story makes perfect sense. We've already established that he did the first three steps and never went on to do the fourth step and on. And so he's resentful. He's got no gratitude whatsoever. He's pissed off that he's gotta work for the company that he used to own. He has a fight with his boss. And then he goes to this restaurant. And they make it very clear here that he's been to this restaurant a bunch of times In the period of sobriety so it wasn't just a people places and things type of relapse this was normal routine for him and so he gets sits down he orders food I don't know who the hell goes to a restaurant and orders two sandwiches and milk but this guy does apparently suddenly the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach I ordered a whiskey and poured it into the milk. I vaguely sensed I was not being any too smart, but felt reassured as I was taking the whiskey on a full stomach. The experiment went so well that I ordered another whiskey and poured it into more milk. That didn't seem to bother me, so I tried another. So this is this guy's brilliant idea. Oh, I can drink as long as I put it into milk. It neutralizes the alcoholic effect of the whiskey. And honestly, I'm not even gonna mention who the hell puts whiskey in milk. So this italicized part is the irrational thought that came into his mind. So there's the mental twist, there's the insanity. And the, the problem with this insanity is this irrational thought slips into his mind and there's no second thought. He just orders the whiskey and puts it in the milk and drinks it. So it's a rational thought right into a rational action. Thus started one more journey to the asylum for Jim. Here was the threat of commitment, the loss of family and position, to say nothing of the intense mental and physical suffering which drinking always caused him. He had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic, yet all reasons for not drinking were easily pushed aside in favor of the foolish idea that he could take whiskey if he only mixed it with milk. Whatever the precise definition of the word may be, we call this plain insanity how can such a lack of proportion of the ability to think straight be called anything else so this mental twist is the insanity that they're referring to in step two it's not the insane things we do when we're drunk it's the insane ideas that went over when we're in a period of abstinence that cause us to go back to drinking with little to no thought of what the terrific consequences might be. You may think this is an extreme case. To us it is not far-fetched, for this kind of thinking has been characteristic of every single one of us. We have sometimes reflected more than Jim did upon the consequences, but there was Always the curious mental phenomenon that parallel with our sound reasoning, there inevitably ran some insanely trivial excuse for taking the first drink. Our sound reasoning failed to hold us in check. The insane idea won out. Next day, we would ask ourselves in all earnestness and sincerity how it could have happened. So, Jim, having gone through the first three steps, had quite a bit of knowledge about his alcoholism and we've made this point in a few of the previous chapters that self-knowledge is not a solution and it's because of this insanity these mental blank spots and these mental twists that self-knowledge is not a solution because you cannot apply the self-knowledge when you're unable to bring it to mind when this type of thinking is happening And so it's completely useless. I've had an experience with these mental blank spots before and I was on the phone, uh, a very important work-related phone call and I had walked down to the gas station at the corner of the road I lived on because I didn't have a license at the time and I went in there to buy cigarettes. As I'm walking out of the gas station still on the phone, I'm very distracted trying to light up a cigarette and a drug dealer who I had never met before comes up to me and offers to uh, sell me drugs. And I'm so distracted by the phone call that I'm not really paying attention to what the guy said. A matter of fact, the only thought that crossed my mind in that moment was I was surprised at how rude the guy was for coming up and talking to me while I was trying to have a conversation on the phone. And so annoyed, I handed him a $20 bill with this face that said, kind of like, get the hell out of here. And then he handed me the drugs and walked off. I started to walk home and about halfway down the street, I uh, finished my phone conversation and hung up the phone. It was only then that I realized what I had done. It was as if it was muscle memory. And unfortunately, I did not have the strength within me to flush what I had gotten. In some circumstances we have gone out deliberately to get drunk, feeling ourselves justified by nervousness, anger, worry, depression, jealousy, or the like. But even in this type of beginning, we are obliged to admit that our justification for a spree was insanely insufficient in the light of what always happened we now see that we began to drink deliberately instead of casually there was little serious or effective thought during the period of premeditation of what the terrific consequences might be alcoholics are really good at concocting excuses to drink out of thin air no matter what the situation might be they will find some sort of trumped up charges to focus on And talk about them loudly and often and eventually rationalize them as a way to destroy their entire life by taking another drink. And no matter what the situation might be, nothing will be a sane excuse for drinking in light of the terrible things that happen when we drink. So this is a good place to stop in the chapter. So that'll do it for today's video. Next time we will go into the second half of more about alcoholism and finish up the chapter. Thank you everybody for listening. I hope that you guys got something out of it. And my hopes in making these videos are that somebody out there may get some help because of these. As always, feel free to share these videos with somebody in need and comment in the comment section with any suggestions for content in the meantime take care of yourself god bless